south of the Mason-Dixon. This is the Week in Review at the Abbeville Institute. Here is your host, Brian McClanahan. Welcome back to the Week in Review at the Abbeville Institute. This is your host, Brian McClanahan, and this is episode 237, covering the week of November 2nd through November 6, 2020. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, like our Facebook page, and subscribe to our YouTube page. You can find all those social media accounts at our webpage, abbevilleinstitute.org. That's A-B-B-E-V-I-L-L-E, institute.org. While you're there, give us an email address. We'll give you a free ebook exploring the Southern tradition. You'll get on our email list, and you'll get an email typically five days a week called our Daily Dose of Dixie, where you get an article that we put in that email. So you can keep up with what's going on at the Institute. Plus, we can contact you if we have anything going on, any initiatives we're doing, anything we're trying to do for educational outreach. You can also support the Institute by clicking on that support tab at abbevilleinstitute.org. It's a great way to help us out. If you like our website, if you like our podcast, if you like our conferences, if you like our videos, if you like all the things that we do, it's a great way to keep those things going. We are a nonprofit organization, so we exist on your generous contributions alone. So consider a tax-deductible donation to the full extent of the law. You can donate monthly, annually, or a one-time gift. And if you click on that support tab, all the information is there for that. Also, click on that shop uh, under support. Click on shop, and you, of course, can get our Abbeville Institute apparel. It's high-quality embroidered stuff, and it's a great way to show off that you like the Institute. You can also download our free mobile application. Just go to your app store on your mobile device, look for Abbeville Institute, download the app, and of course, you've got the Institute on the go. You not only have this podcast there, you also have all of our audio lectures. There's over 200 of those, and we will be adding more from our last conference in the near future. And of course, it's a mobile access to the website as well. So lots of great things to do. As always, rate this podcast wherever you get podcasts. Share our material on social media. Do everything you can do to help spread the message. If you shop at Amazon, click on that little Amazon uh, button on the top of our webpage. And while you shop at Amazon, we become your preferred nonprofit organization. So when you buy a book there, we get a little change out of it. So it's a great way to help support the Institute painlessly and free of charge for you. But Amazon then supports the Institute. So there are several ways to get involved and to do help us do what we do. Now, let's start with some positive news. Virginia, in the state of Virginia, we know that Virginia has been a battleground in many ways. We know that monuments have been coming down in Virginia. We know that the Lee statue is going to come down. Uh, we know all these things are going to happen. But there were seven counties in Virginia that had ballot initiatives should we take down or should we leave up Confederate monuments? Typically, in there, and I think all of them were Courthouse Square Confederate monuments. In all seven counties, resoundingly, the vote was to keep these things where they are. All seven counties. So you see, not all is lost. Now, I know that uh, I've said before on this podcast, eventually everything's going to come down. But if we look at local action, that may not be the case. You might see things come down and urban areas or areas that uh, that uh, may uh, have a, a, a voting electorate that doesn't want them there. But in some cases, that's not going to happen. I mean, you might have local areas. We also saw that Mississippi is going to change the state flag. That was done through a ballot initiative. So depending on what you think about that, um, that's going to happen as well. Uh, so a lot of things are changing. 
a lot of things are changing. I thought if they were going to change the Mississippi flag, just go back to the flag they used when Mississippi seceded, right? Just go back to the Pelican flag. That would have been really awesome if they had done something like that. The Republic of Mississippi. But regardless, uh, we are seeing uh, some cataclysmic shifts in uh, in America. We know that uh, the, the election was just held. We don't know who's going to necessarily win yet. But no matter who wins, what has to happen, of course, is people need to keep thinking about local action and what they can do to preserve the culture that they have. And I think that's one thing that you know I enforce on, reinforce on my podcast, The Brian McClanahan Show, something I try to do here and talk about that. You need to be thinking locally and acting locally at all times. And we've tried to, to have a lot of different articles about that here at the Institute, uh, talking about things like decentralization, political decentralization, but also culture and how important it is to create a local culture or help be part of a local culture that preserves this Southern tradition, and that's what happened in these seven Virginia counties. I mean, that's really great information. That's great stuff. And I and I, I think that you're going to see this in other areas as well. I know we saw it there in, I think it was Louisiana, and the, one of the storms went through, knocked down the Confederate monument, that the city council decided to keep up. Another victory for the Institute, uh, we produced that video, and it's something that uh, we're very proud of, the video featuring Phil Lee, uh, talking about Confederate monuments. And we've got another one coming up that I did, on the Gettysburg Address that hopefully will be out in the next week or two. But uh, we had this great video by Phil Lee. It's been watched you know, thousands and thousands of times. And apparently uh, there were some uh, ca- county councilmen in Knoxville, Tennessee, that were given this video, and they voted to keep the Confederate monument where it was in Knoxville, Tennessee because of that video. So you see, everything you do, if you help the Institute, if you help us do what we're doing, this has an impact. The website, the videos, these things have impact. They have currency. People read this stuff all over the world. They look at our videos all over the world, and more importantly, in places that it matters here in the United States. But you're doing something by helping us do what we are doing. We are the only, the Abbeville Institute really is the only organization, uh, intellectual organization, in America, dedicated to preserving what's true and valuable in the Southern tradition, exploring what's true and valuable is our code, but also is our is our slogan, but also preserving these things, trying to keep them there. We are the only one. I mean, there are other groups that do great work, but we try to bring all those things together. And so your support for us, and we're trying to have a drive, you know, it's November getting to the end of the year, since your donation is tax deductible, uh, this is the time to think about it. Taxes, 2020 taxes are going to come due in April of next year. And so if you're trying to make your plans to try to shield some money from Uncle Sam, well, it's a great way to do it and support the Southern tradition at the same time. Things that work. I mean, the video worked. Our conferences worked. Our last conference, just kind of a news item, our last conference had over 100 people at it, which is amazing. Particularly the topic seemed to be kind of dry, but over 100 people in COVID. It was a wonderful time, apparently, and uh, I wasn't able to attend. But a lot of people were there from all over the South, all over the United States, all over the world, in fact. And uh, it was a wonderful conference. Uh, we're going to have, some, again, the lecture material will be up so you can listen to that. 
And we've got more things like that planned for uh, the near future. We're going to start doing Zoom conferences so that people don't have to go anywhere if they don't want to. And we're going to have a lot of information. The idea is to get as much information out there from our side so that people can actually see this and find it. We have people that do it all the time, all over, all walks of life. They find it and they think, wow, this is something I never heard before. This is something that might be worth listening to or exploring. And then, we, of course, we have the people that hate it, and that's, that's going to happen no matter what. But your tax-deductible donation helps do all of these things. So please consider that. Now, let's talk about the material for the week. A lot of different stuff uh, this week. Again, we know that Tuesday was Election Day, and I actually did a little piece on Will Rogers. Now, uh, Will Rogers is not often considered Southern, but he was. I mean, Will Rogers was the son of a Confederate veteran, a Cherokee Confederate veteran. And Will Rogers had the number one radio program in America in the 1930s. A lot of people don't realize how popular Will Rogers was. Now, Will Rogers uh, was a humorist, and uh, he was certainly someone who liked to poke fun at American politicians. But he had a lot of things to say about politics. And so what I did is went out and found some really funny quotes or good quotes about how corrupt politics actually is. We've got this election. We know everything. I mean, you look at everything that's happening. Everybody knows it's corrupt. When you look at the, even the margin of victory, if Biden ends up winning the presidency through the Electoral College uh, and uh, how, if, that, if that works out in his favor, he only received a shade over 50% of the popular vote. Now, think about that. And and if you take out California, he actually lost the popular vote. But a shade over 50% of the popular vote, not even 51%. So if you had 100 people, Biden wouldn't even get 51 of them. He'd get 50 out of 100, and then you'd have some, like, maybe a little... Pl- I mean, this is how close it actually is. This is like Reconstruction all over again, and that's essentially what we're going through in America right now. We're going through another phase of Reconstruction. And I think the American voters... A lot of them are irritated with this. You look at how the exit polls are going and what people are saying about things. People are irritated with the leftward social change in America. They don't like it. They don't like it. They don't want it. This is why the NFL, for example, backed off a lot of the social justice stuff. It's why the NBA was told no more of it next year. This is why people are saying enough is enough. They don't want to see it. They don't want to hear it. They're tired of it. They're looking at all the... Uh, all the lawlessness and other things going on in American cities. They don't want that. And Biden, of course, got just enough, just enough to eke out a victory, perhaps. Uh, We'll see what happens with the Electoral College. But uh, this is an important point to make because if we have such razor-thin majorities, what we have in America is a situation where a a bare majority can abuse a very close minority, and it doesn't matter if Trump wins or Biden wins, it's going to be the exact same thing. Now, where you stand on the issues is, uh, you know, that's that's your position. But even if Trump wins, right, I mean, you're talking about a guy that got 48% of the popular vote. So uh, we're talking about, you know, a, a, bare, a bare minority, almost a majority, but a bare minority able to control the United States. So isn't decentralization something that we should all be talking about now? The real issue here is nationalism. Why should we have a one-size-fits-all centralized authority? And this is what Marshall DeRosa was talking about last week 
in his piece on what should happen with a post-election America. And that political decentralization is the only method. It's the only thing that can actually stave off the kind of uh, social and political discord that we're seeing in America. Biden's not going to unify anybody. He's going to come in and he's going to, if he wins, he's going to come in and, and essentially do a hard left agenda on a lot of things. It's going to happen. The Senate's going to try to block as much as they can if that stays in the hands of the Republicans. Maybe. I mean, I, I, you, don't, you don't really put faith in the Republican Party. You're always going to be disappointed if you do that. But we certainly have a situation in America where we've got uh, potentially, again, a very divided United States. And wouldn't it be better, because America is so divided, just to have a divorce and let people go their separate ways? I mean, what's the point of keeping it together? If, it could, if we could coexist and, and work well together, if we just weren't sitting here thinking, well, you know what? What's good for California is going to be good for Alabama. What's good for Alabama is going to be good for Massachusetts. I mean, we don't know this. And it's, it's a silly proposition. But of course, historically, when you go back and look at what happened, if you, the, the first article of this week, it, all, it began with a lie by Valerie Protopappas. Uh, she talks about how what we really didn't have was a civil war in America. It was a war of secession. And it began as a lie. Lincoln, of course, at one time was in favor of self-determination. We should call secession self-determination because that's really what it is. It's self-determination of a political group, of a group of people in a state. She asked the question, the question then must be this, did Lincoln not understand the difference between a civil war and the war he intended to wage if the states of the South continued on the path of separation? Given Mr. Lincoln's obvious intelligence, that seems clearly an impossibility. Much more likely, the term was used deliberately in order to foist the appearance of legitimacy upon a conflict that otherwise would reek of, of unjust and unconstitutional aggression. After all, it is a given that both sides in a civil war initiate conflict, since both must make war upon the other in order to rule. By purposely mischaracterizing the war as a civil war, it can be reasonably argued that Lincoln sought to cast equal blame upon a people who wished only their constitutional right to peacefully leave the Union. Indeed, since any Union by its very nature is voluntary, to attempt to maintain it at the point of a gun is conquest, and forcing men to accept the rule of an unwanted government is tyranny. This is not a matter of politics, but history in fact. Unfortunately, while much of politics is a consequence of history, much of history especially regarding the war of, of secession, is also a consequence of politics. I think she summarized that very nicely. And people are talking about, oh, we're going to have another civil war. Well, that would mean that we have to be fighting over control of the central authority. Well, in this particular case, if you're looking at what's happening in America, this is boiling into a civil war because you have one side trying to control the center and the other side trying to control the center. If we actually had a group leave, well, then that's not really a civil war anymore, is it? because somebody just left. I mean, if California was today, and we do have a strong, fairly strong California secession movement right now, of people that are on the left, they want out. If they were to say, now we leave, and people said, good, good go. And they fought for their independence. That's not necessarily a civil war. It's not a civil war at all. They simply want out. And this would be the case of any people 
anywhere in the United States seeking to leave the Union. Now, one of the things that we often get, of course, in all of this is that there's this powerless group in America that's uh, fighting for justice. And I think James Rutledge Roche uh, gets to this, gets to the heart of this. These people really aren't powerless. They have all the power. They have all the power because of rhetoric and because of emotivism. And he doesn't say that. But essentially, that's what we have in America right now. Emotivism is the most powerful political force in America today. We often think about uh, politics in emotional ways. Well, I mean, this is justice. And of course, big corporations like the Mellon Foundation, which is going to give $250 million to take down Confederate statues. Now, that's going to lead to a tremendous amount of dollar chasing. But this is all based on emotion. If you look at what happened with Virginia, and, and frankly, if you look at what's going to happen with Biden, see, the Biden campaign, if they win, is already saying, we have all these executive orders we're going to undo. You think about the stuff it's going to, they're going to focus on. It's all going to be social and cultural things. Not much of it is going to be anything else. Of course, Biden's talking about getting the United States back in the Paris Climate Accords, Climate Agreement, which would be completely unconstitutional. I mean, look, if anything, the... Uh, the se- there should be a court challenge to that because it was not negotiated with the Senate. The Paris Accords, the Senate, this is not a treaty that the Senate ratified. So in that way, it's completely unconstitutional. You can't have an executive agreement on these things. But regardless, uh, when you look at what's happening and you look at Virginia, I mentioned when, Vir- when Virginia went Democrat, in the, in the uh, election cycle, not this year, but last year, when they went Democrat, the first thing I said is th- what they're going to do, the first move is going to be take down Confederate monuments. And lo and behold, that was the first thing they did. Why? Why would that be the first thing? Well, because it means nothing really for government. It means everything for culture, but it means nothing for government. In fact, it was just easy. Well, it's not a hard issue. It's not a hard, oh, we're just going to, because they're doing something then for people. Because supposedly these monuments are hurting people. When in reality, they're not hurting anything. They haven't hurt anyone. Not one time have they hurt anybody. Except for the one that fell on a guy's head when they're trying to take it down, which that monument hurt them. So That's, I mean, shouldn't have been trying to take it down. But regardless, these monuments haven't hurt anybody. But because of the culture war, because of emotivism, this is the first thing they did. And so one of the first things I think Biden is going to do, one of the first executive orders, Trump has signed this executive order creating the 1776 project or whatever he calls it. He's going to undo that. He's going to have an executive order putting critical race theory back on the agenda for, uh, for education. These are things he's going to do almost immediately. I predict it right now. Because those are the things that are going to appeal to the emotive side of the quote-unquote powerless. When, again, they really have all the power. Because they're able to guilt people into things and doing things. Because they don't want to be called a name. Or they don't want to seem like they're out of touch with... And they, they, don't, they don't want to hurt people. They don't want to hurt someone's feelings. I and mean, this is what it comes down to.
And that's where we are in America. This is the culture war that Pat Buchanan talked about in 1992, but other Southerners talked about long before that. I mean, look, you could go all the way back to R.L. Dabney right after the war was over, and he talks about the culture war in America. I mean, this was something that he was well aware was happening. It wasn't just the abolitionists who were looking to reform things. There were other things going on, feminism, temperance. I mean, you take your pick of reform, communism, socialism. He talked a lot about this. You take your pick of the things that were happening, and it was all based on this treasury of virtue. Every, the, one, every one of these reform movements was part of that. And I think that's the interesting thing about all of this stuff. Because that culture war has been ongoing since Reconstruction. And certainly, it's carrying over into today. So, I think that you know what Biden, the Biden administration would do is just what the uh, state of Virginia did following the Democrat victory in 2019 when Northam had a mandate now because the Virginia legislature was not going to block anything and they passed laws that would set up uh, the ability for local areas to take down Confederate monuments. Now, it didn't mean they were all going to do it. As we just saw, not all of them will. But regardless, we had this movement in place to do this. Now, this is interesting because during the time that, of course, Trump has been in office, you've had a lot of lefties talking about leaving the United States. For The question I would ask all these people, number one, is what has fundamentally changed in your life? Really nothing, except for an emotional response. This is what I'm saying. Emotivism is the most powerful thing in American politics today. What has Trump done that's so alien, so horrible, that these people would want to leave? Well, number one, it's just he said some mean things to them. Which, of course, a lot of that's taken out of context. He said mean things. If you look at Trump's policies on foreign policy, for example, we have a, a much more peaceful world now than we have in a long time, than we had when the Obama administration was in office. And I think, if again, if Biden wins, then what we'll have when the Biden administration is there as well. Trump is an old 1930s, 40s Democrat. It's exactly what he is. I mean, he's he is not... A, 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 a conservative by any stretch of the imagination. He's pro-tariff, which would, of course, be old Republican, you know, 19th century Republican. But, you know, he's he's got policies that would be in favor of anti-immigration. The Democrats used to be completely against immigration because it hurt American workers. But now they flipped because they see that as votes. The Republicans used to be that way. They used to be the very much pro-immigration group. And uh, now they've they've sort of gone the other way. What's interesting, though, is Hispanic. the Hispanic population in America is moving towards the Republicans. And I think some of that has to do with the threat of lawlessness in the cities, and they don't like it. And uh, I think that's part of it. But regardless, Trump is just an old-style Democrat. You know, limit immigration, high tariffs, protect American workers, American industry, America great, America first. I mean, this is old old-line Democrat, in some ways, you know, old-right uh, rhetoric as well. But, I mean, that's exactly what you're getting here with Donald Trump. The left has moved away, so far away from that, that Trump seems conservative. 
And he's really not that much. He's really not conservative at all. He's an authoritarian in a lot of ways. Just like Franklin Roosevelt. I mean, Harry Truman. So Trump is a, a, a conservative because the left has become so left that what used to pass for left, Franklin Roosevelt, Harry Truman, is now considered conservative, which is interesting, of course. But with everybody talking about leaving, now you have some people on the right talking about leaving. Well, after the war, people did leave. And Karen Stokes wrote a little article, A Republican in Exile, about a man named, a man named Ambrose Dudley Mann, who was a Virginian, who was sent over to Europe during the war and then stayed, died in France. He was very good friends with Jefferson Davis. But he was concerned in the 1880s about the drift of America towards socialism to the left. And he said it was not just that, it was also Europe. He saw America today in the 1880s. And I have to read this quote because it's really good. This is what Mann wrote to a friend in 1884. He said this, quote, I was never more bothered in mind for the formation of opinion as to what point of descent the so-denominated civilized world is, we is wending as on this New Year's morning. Nor do I believe the brightest human vision can foresee. He said, the progress which it is making downward in general demoralization forbids a rational expectation that a halt is probable. Vice is in such supreme role everywhere that the masses of humankind are disgusted with government and are steadily embracing the sentiment of nihilism. Anarchy has become the impelling motive of their thoughts. Universal suffrage will not satisfy them. Even Bismarck counts upon it as a cure for the socialism of Germany. Gladstone seems to be quite willing to enlarge the elective franchise in Great Britain, but he has met with the extremely puzzling question, to what extent? In like manner, all the other premiers of the monarchs of Europe are secretly embarrassed for a trustworthy solution, but each in the supposed interest of his reigning mistress or master has no alternative but to make merit of necessity and allow every citizen to vote, and that before the lapse of a lengthened period. The political power thus created will inevitably sweep away the existing thrones, but will not be inclined to stop with this procedure. It will institute communism and precipitate a general division of property. The Vox Populi of the United States will not be far behind the lead of the movement. There was that virtue once in the South that would have effectively checked such an attempt, but it has, I contemplate, the matter actively disappeared. The sensibility of principle and the control of affairs no longer exists in the former heaven-favored land. So even the South was succumbing to this, he said in 1884. And I think, that, I mean, look, this is an attack on democracy, and we have people running around us today saying, this is democracy, we need democracy. This is what, you know, Roche is pointing at the power, the power of the powerless. There's really no powerless here because it's a mob in so many ways. It's a mob. And I think that's the real danger of all of this. And, of course, the mob is being stoked and inflamed by a bunch of establishment and Ivy League historians uh, and critical race theory and other things is all being inflamed by this. And the ultimate goal is power. I mean, this is, uh, somebody remarked uh, on social media that there's a, there's a malaise over the Democrats right now. They're not happy with how this election turned out because they don't have power. They have Biden in office. Biden's an empty suit. 
and they can do things to the executive branch, but they don't have control of the Congress, at least right now that we can see if Biden wins and the Senate stays with Republicans. They don't have control of the Congress. And so because they don't really have complete power, because they can't pack the court, because they can't do the things, add D.C. as a state, they can't do these things, they feel defeated. Because at the end of the day, all the things that they're pushing for, all the pandering, all this social justice stuff is pandering to try to get people to vote their way. It's all about power. The elites in the Democrat Party, the Nancy Pelosi's and others, this is about power for them. And when they don't have it, they throw temper tantrums. And they're not going to have it if the Senate stays Republican, if the Republicans actually show they have a backbone at one point. I mean, Mitch McConnell has put out overtures that he's going to try to, <laughs> to severely curtail Biden's appointment capabilities as president. I, I mean, the historian in me would like to see this, uh, see how this happens, you know, have some really interesting things develop in this time period. But regardless, we have a situation that uh, is about power, just like the Lincoln administration was about power, just like the antebellum conflict was about power, about who would control the government. That's what it's always about. So no matter what happens, the end result of all of this will be an increased effort, I think, on our part or anyone's part to look at decentralization, local action as the way forward. I mean, it's the only solution. It's not a perfect solution, but it's the only solution to nationalism, to one-size-fits-all government on the left or the right. And we should all be talking about this we should all be talking about a preservation of Southern culture and tradition and how that can be how that can be maintained in local communities. Because certainly the center is not going to do it. That's what the Abbeville Institute is here for, and that's why we hope that you continue to support our mission. So, that said, until next time, good day. Yeah.